will never forget the year that my family learned what Advent is about. We had known where it fit in the liturgical calendar. We had celebrated the season by lighting the Advent wreath in our home each evening. We knew that Advent was about waiting for Jesus to come. But we didn't understand just how much we actually needed Advent until the year 1996 began careening off course. Dave was working on his Ph.D., and I was a year into private practice as a pediatrician. We had a one-year-old child and another one on the way. Life was busy and complicated and beautiful. And then life became full of grief as well. One day early in the season of Advent, we received a telephone call from Dave's family that his twin brother Steve had had a seizure while working at the family's sawmill. The CAT scan done in the emergency room revealed an abnormality in the brain. A few days later, the consulting neurosurgeon broke the diagnosis, a glioma. A malignant tumor that isn't the fastest growing of all the brain tumors, but it's one that isn't curable either. Steve had two to six years, the neurosurgeon said. Not a lot of time for a 31-year-old husband and father of two young children. Not a lot of time for those who had spent Steve's whole life as his father or mother or brother, or for someone who had spent a few years as his sister-in-law. The bottom seemed to fall out from under us, and as the nights grew longer and longer, we finally knew what Advent is really about. It's about hope, a hope that doggedly persists despite pain and suffering and deep, deep grief, a hope based on a promise that Jesus will not leave us alone, but instead comes to us over and over again. A hope that believes that the love of Jesus can somehow transform even the darkest night, though we may not know exactly how or when that will come to be. This hope is Advent. It's a hope that God's people have held on to for a long time. The book of Isaiah begins with prophecies of judgment on the unfaithful Israelites. But even here, Isaiah holds out hope. Today's reading from Isaiah speaks of a time after God's judgment when Zion will be as it was intended to be, a place of instruction and a beacon of peace. Peoples and nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, Isaiah tells us. In our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, this hope is expressed in terms of what came to be the Jewish understanding of the apocalypse, or the day of the Lord, a time when God will make all things right, when God's justice and love and mercy will stream down on all people. For Christians, this apocalypse became associated with the return of Christ, a coming that many of the earliest Christians thought would be imminent. They thought it would happen during their lifetime. But then a whole generation of Christians passed away and still there was no return of Christ. When we reach the time in which the Gospel of Matthew was written, people have either given up hope that the Son of Man would return, or, as seems to have been the case, they have become complacent. So Matthew is writing to say, stay awake, stay vigilant, live as people of hope. And for Matthew to be ready and awake and hopeful, waiting for Jesus, is to be faithful. 
Now, it's best not to read popular theories about the rapture back into these words of Matthew. There's no real evidence that the rapture as we know it in modern books and movies is what Matthew is talking about here. But it is important to see that underneath all Matthew's exhortations to be vigilant in our expectation of Jesus, under all of this lies not a threat, but a promise. For Christians, the promise of Jesus' return is meant to be reassuring and to bring hope, not fear. Still, it is clear from Matthew's words that it matters whether or not we are living good and faithful lives when Jesus comes. It matters how we as the church wait for Jesus. Our waiting is not meant to be passive. Instead, we are to wait in a way that changes us. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Some of you may have done this before. Close your eyes for a second and picture the ripest, plumpest, yellowest lemon you have ever seen. Now imagine slicing that lemon with a knife. The juice and the pulp ooze out and you can smell the tartness. Imagine what it will taste like when you lift it to your mouth. Now open your eyes. Am I the only one that can already taste it? This is the kind of waiting that we should experience in Advent. A waiting so rife with anticipation that we find ourselves changed by it. Our mouths water with expectation. We already taste what we're waiting for. When we go about our lives with a deep abiding hope that Jesus will come and meet us right where we are, and that when he does, his love will transform even the darkest night, when we live our lives in this way, we help bring into being the kingdom of heaven right where we are. We can taste what we're waiting for. We bear witness to the hope that is Advent. Now, it goes without saying that there are plenty of people in the world that need this hope. People hope for so many different things, maybe for a job, for better health, for food and shelter and clothing, for a new beginning, for a child, for love, for acceptance. Hope is as basic to our well-being as the air that we breathe. I'll never forget as a medical student hearing a cancer surgeon say, People need as much hope to live one day as they do to live ten years. It's true, and this is why we need Advent so very much in our lives. This is also why we, the people of St. Peter's, need to be a presence in this community. Do we believe that what we do here makes a difference? Do we believe that we can offer the world and Conway the hope that it so desperately needs? Do we believe that we have a unique witness to a kingdom where all are welcomed, embraced, and loved just as they are? Do we believe that we can give people a taste of this kingdom even now? I do. Each week in this place we come to the altar rail, offering up our lives, our souls and bodies, and all that we have to God. Next week, we will offer up the work of our lives in another tangible way as well. We will place our pledge cards in a bowl, and they will be blessed. As we enter the season of Advent, may our pledges bear witness to our hope. 
May they represent our commitment to be now in this place, that love for which we wait. 